with me? Uh, Father God, we thank you for uh, the freedom that is ours in Christ. Uh, Lord, thank you so much that you have given us the great joy and privilege of uh, gathering together this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, by your grace and your grace alone, you have invited us uh, into a relationship with you. Uh, God, thank you for your living and active word that you still use it uh, to form and shape us, to change us into the image of your son, Jesus. Uh, church family, in the quietness of this moment, I want to invite you, if you would, uh, to spend a few minutes and uh, pray uh, for yourself. You pray that God would work in your heart uh, by the power of his spirit, uh, that he would open your eyes and help him uh, to see you. Just spend uh, a moment uh, and you pray for you. And if you would be so kind, would you pray for me that God would uh, use uh, these words spoken this morning to form and shape you into the people uh, that God has called us to be. God, we love you. Thank you so much for hearing our prayers this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would be honored and that you would be glorified in everything that we say and do. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Uh, at this time, I want to dismiss our children, K through 5, to CP Kids. You can head to the back. As I look back there, I am giving thanks to God for our volunteers uh, who pour faithfully into our kids uh, each and every week. Jody and her team uh, do an amazing, an amazing job. Well, it is good uh, to see you this morning on this cold uh, Sunday morning. I don't know if you had an opportunity to stand next to the fire, uh, but if you haven't, I would encourage you to do so. I did this morning. I literally almost uh, was caught on fire. Uh, but, I mean, seriously, that thing is hot. Uh, but stand over there uh, if, you, uh, if you get cold. Uh, there is a scene from C.S. Lewis's story, The Chronicles of Narnia, when young Lucy uh, comes face-to-face with Aslan uh, the lion. Aslan, of course, plays the Christ figure uh, in that story, and Aslan welcomes Lucy into his presence and says simply, Welcome, child. And Aslan... Uh, says, Lucy, you're bigger. Remember the scene? You are bigger. And Aslan replies, that is because you are older, little one. And Lucy said, not because you are. And Aslan said, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love that dialogue. I love that conversation that takes place, that idea of every year you grow, you will find me uh, bigger. That is really our hope and our prayer for the Christian life, isn't it? Uh, that as we walk with God, that we would find God bigger. Not because God is small and needs to grow, uh, but because we are small and we need to see him for who he is. And so that is uh, our prayer. That's our aim of uh, this year as we begin a series in the book or the gospel of John. We want, uh, we want to grow in our relationship with the Lord, and we do that by seeing God for who he is. We want that more than we want to become more disciplined. We want that more than we want to lose that five or 10 extra pounds. We want that more than we want financial freedom or the stock market uh, to turn. We want that more than we want to be accepted into our favorite college or university, or we want that more than we want our relationship status to change. We want to see Jesus. 
And in seeing uh, Jesus, we want to uh, believe in Jesus. That's actually the purpose, the point of the Gospel of John. Uh, John, at the end of his Gospel, writes these words in John chapter 20, verse 31. Uh, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that what we all want? Don't we want to experience this kind of life that Scripture talks about? Even if we don't know how to define it all the time, even if we don't know exactly what it looks like, we read that, and I think to myself, I, I want that kind of life. And that kind of life is the life that Jesus offers. John, the Gospel of John, is the fourth gospel. Uh, it is unique compared to the other gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often referred to as the synoptic gospels. Uh, they chronicle the good news of Jesus' life, uh, death, and resurrection, really the basis of our salvation. Uh, the first three gospels are called synoptic because they see together with a common view. They see together with a common view. And the word synoptic literally means together sight, together sight. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, convey or cover uh, many of the stories of Jesus's life, most from his time in Galilee. Uh, Nearly 90% of Mark's content is found in the Gospel of Matthew. About 50% of Mark appears in Luke. But John's Gospel, uh, the Gospel of John is is a little different. Uh, It is a little uh, unique. All of the parables in scriptures are found in the synoptics. The gospel of John uh, contains no parables. Uh, There is no birth narrative in the gospel of John. There's no casting out of demons or cleansing of lepers. There's no transfiguration or last supper in John's gospel. Instead, there's lengthy discourses. Lengthy discourse. It may sound like when you're reading, like you're listening uh, to a preacher on Sunday morning. He just kind of goes on and and on, sometimes one chapter after uh, the next. But this is what marks John's gospel. The other gospels kind of ease into the life of Jesus. They start with his birth, talk a little bit about Jesus growing up, and then eventually introduce his miracles and his ministry. John doesn't do that. John is pedal to the metal. There's no small talk. He doesn't doesn't ease into the person and work of Jesus. He starts off with the person and the work of Jesus. And so I want to invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we're going to do our best to make our way through verses 1 through 18 this morning of John chapter 1. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, and you just heard me say we're going to cover 18 verses, you might be worried about your lunch plans. I assure you, I will not go longer than two hours, give or take. So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, the passage is going to be on the screen. You can turn in your Bibles there, or if you're following along, on the Version app, you can do that as well. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything made that was anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to, uh, to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, I don't know if you caught all of that or not, uh, but that section of Scripture is astounding. I mean, it feels like you are at a theological buffet but you, you have sat down in front of these 18 verses and you see a spread in front of you. I was recently in Nashville and when uh, I was there, I had an opportunity to attend Paula Dean's restaurant. I don't know if you've uh, been before. It is a family style, all you can eat buffet. Confession, there were some decisions made that evening that I'm not proud of. You might say that mistakes were made. I did not leave hungry. I watched as people who had come into the restaurant much sooner than us left, and for the most part, nearly without exception, it looked like everyone leaving that place uh, had been in a fist fight, and they lost. And so when we sat at the table, I gathered the family and said, listen, no matter what happens in the next 30 minutes, we leave here with our head held high. My shoulders back, chin up, chest out. We strut out of here. And by golly, that's what we did. I mean, it was hard, admittedly, to say no because I looked at everything before me and I just thought there is so much goodness here and I just have to partake. I couldn't help but think as I read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, that is a theological buffet. I mean, you could stop after verse 1 and say, I just want to sit here for a while and enjoy this. But then there's another verse and another verse and another verse. There's so much here. I, I, I don't know if we can enjoy all of it this morning, but thankfully, really the rest of the gospel of John unpacks these first 18 verses. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 serve as an introduction for the rest of the book. And so we are going to spend literally the next year unpacking these truths together. John answers the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? 
Uh, he begins by noting that Jesus is God, the pre-existent creator of the world. Jesus is God, the pre-existent creator of the world. Christ is pre-existent. In the beginning was the Word. The Word refers to Jesus. Uh, if you are a student of the Bible and you hear John chapter 1, verse 1, naturally you would think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And then here in John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we are reminded in the beginning was uh, the Word. Jesus wasn't created. Uh, Jesus has existed for all of eternity. Uh, there, there wasn't a time when Jesus did not exist. Even though Jesus was born into our world some 2,000 years ago, he was not the new kid on the block. In the beginning was Jesus. Isn't that amazing to think about? Not only did Jesus exist uh, for eternity, uh, but Jesus existed alongside or with his Father. Uh, scripture teaches us that God is, is one, and he exists in three persons, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, you cannot worship the God of the Bible without worshiping Jesus, because Jesus is God. You cannot separate them. And because God has always existed in the context of community, it makes sense uh, that we would long for community. At Christ's point, we say that we exist. Our purpose is to point people to Jesus. And one of the ways that we point people to Jesus is by experiencing authentic community. Uh, the reason that we long for that, the reason that we want to pursue it, uh, is because God exists in community. And when we pursue community, when we foster it, when we cultivate it as a people, we are reflecting the God who made us. God, uh, and God is Jesus. Jesus is God, and Jesus has always existed. Jesus has always existed. So to not, um, to not intentionally pursue community for you and for me is to stunt our spiritual growth. Like if, if you live life as a lone ranger, and say, I'm not going to press in with other people. I'm just going to go at it alone. I kind of have what I need. I don't need anyone else. Uh, you will stunt your own spiritual growth. That is not how God designed us. And this isn't an introvert-extrovert thing. It's not some people are outgoing and some people are more reserved. But God has created us in his image. And to be in his image means that we are a people uh, who pursue community. In the beginning... Scripture says was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, Jesus is God, and he is creator. All things were made through him, and without him uh, was not anything made that was made. Every square inch, every square inch of all of creation, uh, Jesus can say, I made that. You see that over there? I did that. Uh, the, the water uh, that you're playing in, that you're swimming in, I dreamed it up. Uh, the mountain that you climb, I did that. The sunrise or the sunset that you enjoy, 
depending on whether or not you're a morning person or an evening person. Uh, God did both. He made it up. Uh, he dreamed it, it up. All things were made uh, through Christ. You ever stop to consider that? You ever stop to look at the world around you and consider uh, what Jesus has done? I have to admit to you that sometimes uh, I, I live life or I try to live life so quickly that I don't stop and pause and appreciate uh, the work that God has done. I'm so, so busy moving or getting things done or trying to accomplish that I, that I don't appreciate his creation. The other week, uh, I, was, uh, I was working hard, I think on Facebook, and, I, and I, came, I was distracted. And I was on Facebook, and I came across a video of a bald eagle. It's like 38 seconds long. Uh, someone in my family had posted it, and so I was like, ooh, <laughs> squirrel. And I, I clicked on it, and I just was blown away by it. It, it, it was just this video of, of a bald eagle uh, in slow motion uh, flying over the water and diving down and, and coming out with a fish. It was, it was unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever watched a three-foot bird with six to seven-foot wingspan that flies at 30 miles per hour and can dive at 100 miles per hour that essentially just says, go, go, gadget feet, and sticks out its claws and can swoop down into a body of water and pull out a fish and then just fly with it. Like, I was, I was just blown away by that. It, I know it sounds silly, but it became this moment of worship for me. I was like, God, I can't believe that you did that. Like, God, you, you did that. You dreamed that up. You orchestrated the world in such a way where that creature and all his splendor can do that. You ever stop and look at the world around you to, to see how it works and how things fit together, to consider the creativity of an artistic God, and just to appreciate what he has done and go, Lord, thank you. Like, God, I, I worship you. That is amazing. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who is Jesus? A Jesus is the eternal pre-existent creator of the world. He is God. And John continues, Jesus is life. He is light that pierces into the darkness. 
John chapter 1, verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, Throughout the pages of Scripture, we read about this biblical metaphor of light and darkness. Darkness can be viewed uh, as sin or, uh, or, or the evil one or death in some passages. Light is life. It is salvation. In Jesus was life, and Jesus is the light that has pierced the darkness. You ever stop to think about the power of light? You ever wake up in the morning to a dark room and fumble your way around the room because you're, you're trying to see and you can't? All you see is darkness. You're, you're feeling around, hoping you don't run into something. And then, and then you want so desperately to turn on the light, right? to pull out your phone, right? to see some ray of light coming into the room. You want light to pierce the darkness. And Scripture says that is what Jesus has done. Light has pierced the darkness. It happened in creation when the Creator God said, let there be light. But it also happens when God, out of His grace and mercy, moves into the darkness of the world and shines light. You ever have an experience before where you walk away from, uh, from a movie or maybe, maybe you go somewhere and you leave and you just, you can't quite put your finger on it. You're trying to describe it, but you go, boy, that was, that was just dark. You ever have that experience before? You watch a movie and you go, man, that was just, that was dark. Or you, you leave a place and you go, man, I just, there's just something about it. It just felt dark. Scripture says that, that Jesus has shined a light into dark places. He is a light and he is life. John chapter 8 verse 12 says, When Jesus spoke again, he said to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is light and as his followers, we have been called to be light into a dark world. Scripture says in John chapter 1, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John was a witness to the light. A witness is someone uh, who gives a truthful testimony about what they have seen or what they have heard or about what they have experienced. Scripture says that the point of John, John's life uh, was to be a witness to Jesus, to point other people uh, to him. And in many ways, um, we, as the people of God, get to follow suit. We, too, are witnesses to Jesus. Witness, again, is someone whose life uh, has been changed by the power of, of the gospel. It reminds me of the story of the man uh, who was blind in Scripture, and Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath, And uh, the Pharisees are a little upset because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. Familiar with the story? And so Pharisees, religious leaders, uh, go up to the man and they start asking him questions. They interrogate him. They're like, like, you know, what? What's the deal? (laughs) Like, what? Who? This guy that did this? Like, what's up with him? And the man said, he, uh, he, he is a prophet. Well, they didn't like his response, and so they tracked down his parents, and they started grilling his parents, and they're like, who, like, who is this guy? 
Like, this doesn't happen all the time. This is unusual. And so they ask his parents, like, what, 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 what happened to him? And his parents essentially are like, listen, man, he, like, he, was, he was born blind. I don't know about the guy that did it. And so the Pharisees go back to the guy, and they're like, seriously, like, like tell us about the man who did this to you. And, and, I, and I love how he responded. He said, I don't, I don't know if he is a sinner. Like the man's essentially going, I'm not ready to teach a theological class at the local seminary. But then do you remember what he said? This is what I know. I was blind, but now I see. Like that's, that's a witness. Right? That, that's what we get to do. Like we, we navigate our way through the world and we're going, listen, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to teach fourth semester Hebrew. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm the right person uh, to, to teach ecclesiology or Christology, but this is what I know. Like I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I didn't care about God or the things about God, and now I live for God. That's a witness. That was the calling on John's life. It is the calling on your life and my life. John was a witness to the light, but he was not the light. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his following. It wasn't about how many people he could gather. John wasn't the savior of the world. John existed to point people to the savior of the world. Verse 8 says, He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came into the world, uh, the world that he created, the world that he made, uh, the world that he spoke into existence, and the world did not know him. His own people rejected him. Right? So not everyone was on the same page when it came to Jesus. Religious leaders, people that Jesus met, people who heard the stories or even witnessed the stories, some people looked at Jesus and said, I am all in. And other people were like, mm, uh, I don't know about him. And it's no different than today. It's no different than today. There are, there are some people who are going, man, I am I'm in. I, I believe. I, I want to follow Jesus in, as, as imperfectly as I do sometimes, like I just, I love Jesus. And other people hear that and go, that is crazy. That's just nuts. That's nuts. What you give your life to, how you spend your time, the things that you love, your affections, you are wasting your time. So how does it happen that, that some people hear the gospel message, the good news about Jesus, they receive and believe, and other people want nothing uh, to do with him. How does that happen? John tells us, but to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How does this happen? We're talking about new birth, conversion, salvation. We're told how it doesn't happen, and we're told how it does happen. It doesn't happen when children are born into a family. That's what it means to say they were born not of blood. You're, you're, not, you're not born into the Christian faith. You might, by the grace of God, be born into a family with a mom or with a dad, with a grandma or a grandpa, an aunt, an uncle that know Jesus and love Jesus. That's a gift. But you don't get to ride their coattails. Like you, we, we don't get to navigate through life and go, well, you know, great grandma, she always went to, to First Baptist as long as I can remember, and, and I go too. I mean, I've always... I've always been a part of the church. We've always been to the Presbyterian church, as long as I can remember. I've always been there. I, you know, my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, they started it. That's not how new birth happens. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen uh, beca- because someone else holds the door open for us and sneaks us in. Like, we, we don't rest on the faith of our family, and we don't rest on the faith of our friends. Our friends influence us. They, they might point us in the right direction. God may use them, and oftentimes does, to birth faith into our hearts. But, but that's not how new birth happens. It doesn't happen when, when we kind of look at the options and stand back a little bit and go, you know, I'm pretty bright. <laughs> I'm red. I love apologetics, and this makes the most sense to me. That's not how new birth happens. Did you catch how John said it happens? But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And how does that happen? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How does new birth happen? How do we experience salvation? We experience new birth or salvation when God saves us. God opens our eyes and helps us to see the beauty of Jesus. What John is doing is kind of pulling back the curtain and saying, yes, receive him and believe in him. And we want to we call people to that. We want to receive Jesus for who he is, in the scriptures, not someone we make up. We want to receive him for who he's uh, revealed himself in the scriptures. We want to believe in his name as the God of the universe, as God, as our Savior. But then John goes, here, let me show you something. How does that happen? You're not born into it. You're not convinced by it. God does it. God, through the power of his Spirit, brings spiritually dead people uh, to life. Have you received Jesus? Have you believed in his name? Not a a Jesus that that you made up, not a God who who you kind of go, well, I could never believe in a God who does this, that, or the other, but but have have you seen Jesus, the Jesus that we read about in the pages of Scripture? Have you received 
and believed in his name. Jesus is God. He is the pre-existent creator of the world. Jesus is life. He is life. He is light that pierces into darkness. And Jesus is glorious. He is full of grace and truth. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Isn't it amazing to think that Christ, that the God of the universe, came to dwell among us? The preexistent one, the, the, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one in whom life is found, the transcendent one condescended into your neighborhood and mine uh, to walk among us. Christ came. It just blows me away. Jesus did not stay in command center uh, somewhere texting his soldiers uh, what to do. He came to walk among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. I love how one author defines glory. He defines glory as uh, the greatness of God gone public. The greatness of God gone public. We've seen his glory. We've seen Jesus and gone like, bravo. We've seen his greatness. The glory of Jesus does not and will not disappoint us. We see in part now, and we will see more fully when we see Jesus face to face. We have, we have just scratched the surface, but I assure you, when that time comes, you will never be disappointed. You will not be, well, you know, I spent some time with him, but nah. It's not a, a movie that disappoints or a vacation that you go on where it rains all the time. Like, we, we cannot even put into words the glory of God. We can use this word salad as best we can to try to explain it, but we are just scratching the surface. Jesus came, he displayed his glory. And it says here that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. Christ is not harsh, right? He's full of grace. Grace is unmerited favor unmerited favor. It's undeserved. It's unearned. And God has given it to us in Jesus. The very thing that we need, he extended to us. And he came not only in grace, yes, grace, but grace and truth. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read about truth, truth to me can feel a little bit like the vegetables in the equation. Like, I like the grace. That feels like meat and potatoes. That's a gift. But sometimes when we think about truth, truth feels like it stings a little bit. Truth feels a little bit like the dad that says to a son or daughter, hey, we need to talk. And you're going, uh-oh. But when Jesus came in grace and in truth, the, the, the truth, Jesus is truth. The truth is something that sets us free. The truth is something where God helps us to see 
who we really are and, and gives us freedom in that truth is used by God to form and shape Jesus in us. I think I told you the, the, the story a while back. I had an opportunity uh, to take a golf lesson. Uh, I've only taken one uh, my whole life. And it was incredibly valuable. And I always suspected that I was a relatively poor golfer. Uh, and my sus suspicions were confirmed when I met with a professional. Uh, like, like he told me things that were truthful that maybe I didn't want to hear at the time and yet were used to kind of form and shape my very awkward swing uh, to make it better than it was before. Now, if I've golfed with you in the last six months, you might be thinking, James, it's not that much better than it was before. And you might be right. Uh, but, but truth, truthful words are used to, to form and shape us into the people that God has called us to be. Right? So Jesus came with grace, unmerited favor as a gift, and in truth so that we would see uh, what is true and what is right. Uh, Jesus was full of grace and truth. He came uh, bearing the gift of himself uh, to you and to me. So who is Jesus? According to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, Jesus is God. He is the pre-existent creator of the world. Jesus is life. He is light that pierces into the darkness, and Jesus is glorious. He is full of grace and truth. Uh, four ways for us to respond. Number one, uh, enjoy uh, Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. Uh, stop and pause and look at the world around you that Jesus created and give thanks. I give thanks. The next time uh, you make your way up to the mountains or you make your way uh, to to tip, uh, dip your toes into the water, the next sunset you see from a distance. Like, just pause and take it in and give God thanks and praise. Enjoy uh, Jesus. Enjoy the world that he created. Secondly, uh, live your life to point other people to him. I love that John says, listen, I, I am not walking the face of the earth to point people to myself. I'm here to point people uh, to him. I'm not here to get a following I'm not here to gather folks onto my name. I want to decrease. I want him uh, to increase. And so that's what we do. We live as witnesses uh, to the good news of the gospel and tell other people about him. Third, we worship Jesus. We experience his glory and we respond in praise. It's one of the reasons that we sing together as a people. That's one. That's just one of the many ways that we worship God. But I love uh, to come on Sunday morning and hear voices, not because we do four-part harmony. I certainly don't. But I love to hear voices because people are responding in praise uh, to the God of the universe. Worship uh, Jesus. And lastly, receive and trust in him. If you have never received Jesus as your Savior, and then I want to encourage you and challenge you, implore you uh, to receive him. Jesus uh, is God. He came to this earth and lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death. He was buried. He defeated death, and he rose uh, from the grave. And because of his death and resurrection, he offers life 
uh, to you and to me. If you've never experienced uh, the life that is yours in Jesus, I pray that this morning uh, you would for the very first time. I would love to talk to you after the service. You can fill out a connection card if you want to take that next step in your relationship with the Lord. Let's pray together, and then we'll celebrate Jesus' death and burial and resurrection together as we take the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for a life and light that is ours in Jesus. Thank you for the world that you created for inviting us to appreciate and to enjoy uh, the world around us. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes uh, to see. Uh, God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a, a longing and a desire and an affection uh, for you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone uh, here this morning that doesn't know you, that uh, perhaps for the very first time, whether they're here uh, with us on Sunday morning, whether they're watching at home, Lord, I pray that you would pour faith into their hearts so that they would receive and believe in Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.